Marquez back at it again for another episode of the Mainline Podcast. Uh, an exciting episode coming off a thrilling four-overtime game for the ages down in Dallas this past weekend at the Cotton Bowl where OU defeated Texas in dramatic fashion, 53-45. to The most points ever scored in this rivalry, Adam. This game had anything and everything that you could possibly imagine on a football field. And after sitting out in that sun for seven hours on Saturday, all I can say, Adam, is thank God OU won that football game Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I I had the fortune to be underneath the overhang, and I was thankful from the moment that uh, the game kicked off until the very end that I never had to be in that sun. Uh, I'm sure it was miserable. You know, we saw players um, dropping like flies by the end of the game, so I can't imagine what it was like to be out there. We were we were 26 rows up, and like I said, we got to our seats at about 10 o'clock on Saturday morning, and by the time the game actually finished, I think it was about 3.55, so, uh, and again, mid-90s, Saturday afternoon, it was, it was an absolute nightmare, but thank God that they won because it made that sunburn and the uh, tough drive home that much more, that much better. So, uh, but again, I, I don't even want to know where uh, where we start, what we're going to dive into. Again, six hour, five, six hour football game. It had anything and everything. And dude, I, I, I knew coming into this, coming into OU Texas weekend, it wasn't going to be the game that we expected it to be from a hype standpoint. Uh, OU coming in with two losses, Texas with one. One was one team was unranked. Texas was number twenty-two. Um, but just I, I think kind of when I woke up Saturday morning, it just felt like it felt like something was going to happen that was going to make this a memorable football game. And boy, did that deliver! Well, you knew that there was so much on the line. Uh, you had OU facing a third straight loss versus Texas that feels like you know the foundation is crumbling every single week and I think the fact that Texas lost really and and seeing the repercussions of that from their fan base and their media and the team uh, over the next couple of days afterwards really shined a light on how how weird and and uh, dire that situation is down in Austin and we'll probably get into that a little bit more but but yeah for sure there was so much on the line that it had to be a big memorable game. And, and coming into it Saturday morning, you know, getting there to the stadium early, you know how it always is. You got to get there early, got to get your parking spot, got to get up there into the stadium. That way you can wait in line to come into the gates. Dude, w- we are usually accustomed every year that we've gone, we've had to park uh, in, a, in a person's yard in a lot across the street from the actual fairgrounds itself. So when we got there on Saturday morning, we ended up parking on the second row from the gate. So it was literally about 30 to 35 yards from the actual entrance. And and from that point on, there were maybe 50, 60 cars in, in the parking lot at that point. There wasn't a single line uh, to, to have your ticket scan going in. And um, kind of what we're accustomed to is, you know, when you do make that walk in, you go around, you see the little car test drive area. Uh, the, the spot in the fairgrounds where the buses come in, you see the bands gathering, ponies, bevos, all right there. That place was absolutely empty. And it just kind of had this weird aura feel to it, walking up to the stadium again with only, you know, five, 10,000 people in there at the time. No rides going on, no hardly any food vendors. And it was just a weird, I, I tweeted out a picture of it Saturday morning, but it was just a weird feeling walking up there as a fan, getting ready for that game on Saturday morning. Yeah, it was. I took a little bit different approach where I got to my seats about 15 minutes before kickoff. But even doing that, there was no line to get in pretty much anywhere. Uh, The longest line was everybody lined up 
uh, to get into the parking lot, which never filled up uh, from what I could tell. Uh, so it wasn't even close to filling up. Uh, so it was, it was weird. Um, I'm glad that I didn't show up nearly as early as I normally do. And I'm really glad that, you know, fingers crossed, God willing, we don't have to go through that experience ever again at, at an OU Texas game because like we talked about last week, sometimes the best part about OU Texas is everything that surrounds it from the Friday drive to the fair to afterwards after a win. It, the game is, is very special too, but it's so much that surrounds it that really makes it stand out. Yeah, it's it's that pregame, the pageantry, the the fans going back and forth, the banter, and again, all the things that go into actually, you know, prior to going into the stadium to to watch the game actually play out. But I mean, it, even though it was extremely weird, you know, pr- prior to kickoff, that that game surely delivered and had. Uh, I mean, it was back and forth. It was an it was an emotional roller coaster from start to finish, and. Um, dude, let's just let's just kind of dive into it. You know, OU wins the toss, uh, elect receive kickoff, uh, twenty five thousand fans in the stands, no bands whatsoever. That that was probably the weirdest part. You had the you had the uh, uh, the the intros for for both teams. You had a virtual you know the band recording videos being played beforehand. So it, it was just a weird thing from start to finish. But uh, again, OU jumps out to a 10-point lead. Um, Spencer Rattler, I thought, I thought that he looked really good. Offense came out, moved the football really well. Defense came out and played lights out, having a having – a th- I think it was a th- back-to-back three and outs. Building Started that- with a fumble on the yes, first possession. That, that's, yeah. that's right. So kind of what were your thoughts uh, just kind of getting into it because uh, OU kind of jumped on them quick right there at the very beginning. Yeah, I tell you, it was so hard to – to, to not resist basically going in and just saying, oh, like we're up 10-0, like we're good, we got this. Or even in the, the third quarter when we were up by two touchdowns then, just knowing how the team had, had played in the previous two weeks. And sure enough, it turned out to, to be the same. We'll talk about maybe a little bit later whether we think it was for the same reasons or not. But I thought it was really encouraging. We talked a lot about the mentality of the team, especially where the defense was. And they really came out. They showed out um, throughout the entire game. I felt like the defense, I didn't really notice hardly any missed tackles, uh, maybe other than Sam Ellinger, which, I mean, it's, he's a hard guy to tackle. I can't really fault guys for, for missing him too often. But I thought it was a, a really great uh, performance from the team after what they had gone through the previous two weeks. Well, when you've got a six foot two, two hundred and thirty pound fullback that's essentially playing the quarterback position, I mean that that's going to be extremely tough for for anybody on the defensive side of the football to to bring a guy like Sam Ellinger down. But I thought the defense played extremely well. It, it was nice seeing uh, the, the defensive line ga- uh, had pressure uh, in, in Sam's face all afternoon. That was that was an incredibly bright spot. Uh, I thought the linebackers played played well, not too flashy, but again, not not too up, not too down. They were consistent all afternoon, and it was nice seeing eleven secondary guys uh, rotate in and out in the back end of OU's defense. Finally, Alex Grinch threw some of those young guys in there, some of those more six one, six two DBs that we've been as OU fans longing to to see those guys take the field. And again, I think I think that they, I don't know if that was. Uh, if they outperformed, but it was so nice to see some DBs actually come in, make tackles, make plays on the football. Woody Washington getting an interception at a crucial point of the game. Uh, but again, let's not fast forward too, too deep into it. Coming out at the very beginning, Trey Brown, 
that was a that was a ridiculous ticky tack call. He, he yeah. getting flagged on that interception. That was huge. Defense forcing a, a turnover. Perry on Winfrey, uh, sh- stripping Keontae Ingram, and really that kind of set the tone from the very beginning. Uh, and, and led to OU's defense playing pretty well for for the next four, uh, 50, 55 minutes until the very end of the fourth quarter. Yeah, I you know there were a lot of young guys that played in the defensive backfield. Woody Washington was the one guy that really showed out, and he's probably the young guy that we had seen the most over the first couple of games, even going back to the Sugar or the Peach Bowl uh, last year. So that wasn't total a total surprise. The other young guys that played, and we even saw Trey Norwood a little bit more, he, I didn't see anything that was like great or bad about his performance necessarily, but it was good to see him out there. Um, and then Trey Brown, I, I felt like Trey Brown had his, maybe his, I mean, clearly his best game of the year. I mean, potentially his best game of his, of his, of his career, um, not just the season, but I wonder how much of the threat of other guys playing and seeing other guys on the field really drove him to to have the game that he did. Well, I think that that was something that we saw across the defense as a whole. When you've got those younger guys that are that are working to get playing time, and you're and those young guys are able to push those upperclassmen that are that have those starting spots ahead of them, that's going to force those starters to elevate their game. And and I think we saw. Uh, for the most part, that entire secondary takes some steps or, during this game. Again, you want to see him clean up the penalties, uh, the, the holding penalties, the, the pass interference. I know that, again, Texas has, you know, tr- tremendous athletes. They're going to make plays on their own, but you got to figure out a way to, to clean up those penalties because those are going to cost you, and, and they most definitely did as we got closer to the end of the football game. But, uh, again, I thought Trey Brown was solid. Uh, again, it seems like seems like when, uh, when it's OU Texas on the same field, that's when Trey Brown plays his absolute best. Uh, it should have had two picks. It came out with the one, the, the game clinching one on Saturday afternoon. And then uh, we all know about that, uh, that safety sack that he had on Ellinger during the 2018 Big 12 championship game. So I thought Trey Brown played exceptionally well. Delaria Turner yell. Um, he was consistent. You never really saw him in, in a place where, you know, he was out of position or he made a bad play. He, he had a couple really good open field tackles. Uh, but I thought for the most part, DTY played pretty well also. That's that's kind of who he is, though. He's always solid. You rarely notice him. Um, I mean, he'll come up and flash and run support sometimes. Uh, we saw him miss maybe a tackle here or there against uh, uh, Brees Hall uh, last week. But other than that, I mean, he's just he's just solid. He never gets burned. He's never putting himself in terrible position. So he's just solid, which for well, the talent that we have, that's all you can really ask for. And we can we can kind of move uh, across the opposite hash, uh, the other safety position, um, probably the one position where I guess we we saw a little bit of substitution. I know that uh, I know that Justin Broyles made an appearance. We still haven't seen Bryce in Washington, but Adam, I, I know that we're we're four games into the season, but are we are we past the point where is there no is there not another answer for for Pat Fields? And again, I know he's your team captain. I know that he's one of the most respected guys on the field, but at some point, you know, teams are going to continue to target him. They see him as a liability, see him as a weak spot, along with number 44 on the team. But, uh, again, is there no answer for for Pat Fields at this point right now? Unfortunately, I think the answer is out for the year. I think it was Justin Harrington. Dude, he looked good. (laughs) But, (laughs) But, man, I mean, just looking behind Pat Fields on the depth chart, we know Justin Broyles, I mean... He, he got burned so bad against LSU. I don't think anyone wants to see him out there. 
Um, Bryson Washington is a freshman. And I mean, he really couldn't see the field at all, even though Joshua Eaton and, and DJ Graham both saw the field. Washington uh, was nowhere to be found. I do think that the fact that you have uh, Woody Washington, you've got Jaden Davis, and you've got Trey Brown, you've got a, a nice solid three-man rotation at corner now uh, at worst. So I, I do feel like Trey Norwood should get a shot to take over that free safety spot, see if he can do it. Um, Pat Fields, I mean, he is a team captain, but we've also seen team captains that have never played, Trevor Knight, 2015. So maybe it's, it's time to give Norwood a chance, give him a little bit longer run. Well, and at some point, even though he is your team captain, he is a vocal leader for this football team, at some point you've got to put the best players on the field right now. And if Pat Fields truly is the best player at that position, um, then, then that's what Alex Grinch has got to ride with. And honestly, that's probably more concerning than anything else at the lack of depth. Uh, b- behind that safety position. But I, w- I would think moving forward again, OU's going into a bye weekend uh, th- this this current week before heading down to, to Dallas to play TCU next weekend. You would hope that this would be a week where Alex Grinch and company can 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 truly develop a Bryson Washington, you know, get him brought up to speed where he can finally be put into a position where he's able to rotate in with Pat Fields during next weekend's ball game. Because uh, like I said, th- there's going to come a point in time where we, we've already seen it through the first four games, but uh, if there's a weak link, teams in this conference on offense are good enough to where they're going to identify the weak link and, and be able to, uh, you, you know, truly take advantage of that. So, uh, but kind of kind of moving over to the to to the other side of the secondary, I thought Jane Davis played extremely well. Again, not not too high, not too low. wasn't really any wasn't really a play where he was flashing or anything. Um, probably his best play of the game was right there late in the second half where he did have that big pass breakup uh, on that deep ball down the field, which probably saved a touchdown, but. Uh, I mean, Jay Davis, he's been, he's been consistent. He's been good for OU all season long so far. Yeah. I will say the thing that stands out about both Jaden Davis and Woody Washington from a corner perspective is uh, those, those throws down the field, they're getting their head around, even if it's at the last second and maybe they don't even see the ball. It's almost uh, like you're supposed to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Trey Brown, like he had a great game. I'd still like to see him get his head around on some of those deeper passes I don't think he was really challenged much on Saturday, uh, but both of his interceptions, even the one that was was called back for penalty, were ones where he was already facing the quarterback, so he didn't have to, to turn like that. But it is good to see Jaden Davis and uh, being physical all the way down and then turning his head. And, and you are allowed to get away with a lot more physicality uh, when your head's turned. Um, and that's something we just haven't seen from defenders at OU in a long time, it seems. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, if if you've got a if you're putting a referee in a position where he's got to make a make a call uh, on a receiver running a route, you know, uh, about to catch a football, and the defensive back is is not even looking for the football, and he's just sitting there face guarding or or committing a pass interference penalty, refs are going to award that to the offensive player nine times out of ten. So it it was nice to finally see again some of those young guys, a, a Jane Davis, true sophomore, some of those freshman guys get in there. Uh, and again, it, it pays off when you have some of those bigger, you know, more uh, six foot, six foot one, two, you know, DBs that are able to be more physical and, and make those plays down the field. So, uh, but again, I, th- I thought the defense played exceptionally well, except for about a five minute stretch right there at the very end of the game. But we'll kind of dive into the, the fourth quarter and the overtimes here in just a little bit. But uh, w- one of the things that, that kind of got Texas back into the game wasn't necessarily the, you know, the stellar offensive play that we've, you know, grown accustomed to seeing from Ellinger. Uh, throughout his career, but Spencer Rattler had two back-to-back costly turnovers that led to 10 
10 points by Texas and really allowed them to get back in the game when OU had, had outplayed them, you know, by, by a pretty significant amount early on uh, in those stages of the football game. So um, that, that obviously led to, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley making the call, bringing Spencer over. He can say that he was getting his left arm worked at. We did see that on the TV broadcast, but I, I thought that that was a, it was a gutsy move, but it was a, it was a good call by Riley to kind of, you know, sit Spencer down for a couple of series, you know, kind of, you know, show him that, I know that you're. I know you're the five-star quarterback, but if you're not going to take care of the football, you're going to be sitting over by me. Yeah, on the very first turnover, the interception, uh, they motioned the running back out to the left, and we had four receivers on that side of the ball. Texas had three defenders, and I was just watching that, going, "Oh my gosh, please throw to that side." And then, of course, he looks back, and he still, if he had timed it right, he probably could have gotten Stogner over there. But just by from a numbers game, uh, and this is true when you're when you're running the ball, especially too. You know, you want to go where you have the numbers and the advantage over there. And um, you know, if if Texas had balanced their defense better, that would have made a lot of sense to to go over to Stogner one on one. But um, yeah, that was bad. And then the second turnover, he was just being careless uh, with the ball in the pocket. So. Um, it is strange. I don't know. I can't recall a time where I've seen a quarterback get benched for a short amount of time and then come back and and lead the team to victory. Maybe it happens at you know some smaller schools. We haven't had a we haven't had quarterback trouble here at OU, but I thought it was an interesting move that that Lincoln went with. Well, I think that it definitely paid off because Spencer was was tremendous. I thought he played his best football of the year, especially in, in that second half and in, in overtime, he was outstanding. But uh, kind of to throw this back to you, Adam, what what were your thoughts on on Tanner Mordecai? Again, he was out there for a couple series. I thought that you, you know early in that first drive, he completed a couple of good passes, kind of provided a little bit of an energy jolt in into that team. But I, I thought that he did a really good job of kind of stabilizing uh, that that OU offense and you know kind of you know riding the ship. Uh, while they were able to kind of get their feet back underneath them. Yeah, I thought he showed great pocket presence other than fumbling a ball while running <laughs> off of his knee, um, which I, th- I think is more e- easier to happen than, than some people might realize. But I thought he showed some good pro- some presence there stepping up. I, I've noticed a trend with him, whether it's been in garbage time or against Texas here where he throws the ball really low, which – is good, I guess, if you want to protect the football and not throw picks, but it doesn't give your receivers much of a chance to do anything after the catch. And uh, we saw that even when uh, he had a free play and he knew it where Texas jumped off sides, he, he threw a ball right in the middle of the field. It was really low. It got picked off. It didn't matter, but <laughs> I don't know who he's throwing it to. Yeah. But I was like, well, what are you doing? At least just throw a jump ball or throw it deep or, or something. Um, but yeah, initially when I, when I, when he was in there and it was live, I was saying like, I guess he's okay. Like he's, he's doing all right. He's not turning the ball over, but then rewatching the stretch that he was in after the fact, a few days later, I just didn't see anything that was really all that flashy for me to, to hang on to. Well, and I even had a conversation with the guys that were sitting behind us, you know, during halftime, you know, we, we were talking about, you know, if you're Lincoln Riley, do you throw Spencer back out there who, even though he's had two interceptions, you know, he, he's proven throughout the first part of this year that he is your best option at quarterback. And, and they were making the argument that, you, you know, no, you, you've got to let, you, you know, let Mordecai start the half, you know, make those adjustments at halftime and let him come out there and see if he can, you know, t- take the team down the field. Whereas I'm sitting there thinking, after watching Mordecai, who, again, I thought he was consistent, I thought he was steady, you know, wasn't too great, not too bad, the ball just doesn't come out of his hand 
like like Rattler does. And you know, you know, even though Spencer was a little bit turnover prone early in the first half, if they were going to win that football game, Spencer had to be the one at quarterback. So um, <clears throat> again, I thought I thought he flipped a switch. Uh, OU came out in the third quarter, probably their best quarter of football uh, of the entire season, shutting out Texas fourteen nothing. Uh, again, asserting their dominance, running the football. I thought the offensive line played outstanding both of those drives. Uh, TJ Pledger having a couple rushing touchdowns. And honestly, Adam, that, that second drive that they had in the, in the third quarter was probably the drive of the year. You, you know, it, when, when you go on a 17-play, 87-yard touchdown drive that eats up a little over eight minutes of the clock, I mean, that, that, that's just, you know, demoralizing for a team like Texas that, you know, especially on a hot day where you've got to, you know, defend the OU offense for 17 plays that ultimately ends up in a touchdown. Yeah, uh, not a lot of competition for drive of the year so far <laughs> with uh, <laughs> only being our second win, but we might look at back at that at the end of the year and still think that. I, I was very impressed even in real time, just thinking, man, OU took the air out of the ball with that 17-play drive, and uh, Theo Weiss had several third down catches that extended it on on third and medium, third and long, and we were running the ball really effectively. So. It was, it was really good to see that. I think in the, in the third quarter, for sure, Spencer Radler was just taking the underneath stuff. He really wasn't pushing it down the field much. He was taking, he was running the offense. Yeah. So he, he looked good. He looked in rhythm uh, in that throughout both drives. And then the defense three and outs. um, I think they were, I think they were keeping, yeah, it might've been all three and outs in the third quarter, but they were keeping Texas uh, just offense off the field. And, uh, and really we were gassing their defense. So. Yeah. It was working well. well. OU takes a 31-17 lead into the fourth quarter. OU gets the ball to to start the fourth quarter. Um, and really, it just, it, again, it, it just kind of summed up the the OU football that we've seen for the better the better part of these, these first four games. Uh, inconsistently, they dominate the game for three quarters, and then it just, uh, it, it just seems like something happens, some, a, a light goes off, and they just can't finish the football game. So I uh, thought, thought an interesting stat looking back at it. You know, the defense played really, really well for the better part of three and a half quarters. L- listen to this, Adam. OU gave up 159 yards to Texas in the first three quarters. In the fourth quarter alone, Ellinger and Texas gained 179 yards. So – in a time where you again, you know that Texas is going to be throwing everything at the at the book to to, to try and come back and win the football game, you've got to be able to close out. And uh, again, I, I'm not I'm not sure if it was a fourth quarter collapse by the by the players, if it was coaching decisions, some errors that they made, but it, it wasn't the same football team that we saw the first three quarters on on OU's sideline. Yeah, I think I think the defense started to wear out. I mean, it was it was hot out there. We saw Texas's defense was was worn out too. But I I, I think you kind of alluded to it a little bit. There are some questionable play calling. Uh, I mean, people look at the pass to Stogner, and some people have split decisions. Oh, it was good to be aggressive and go for it. I thought Personally, it was fantastic. Okay, see, I I feel the other way. Before that, I was thinking, do not pass the ball. Do not pass the ball. Run it force Texas to to really scramble on their drive with, I don't know, a minute 20 left, minute and a half versus two, 2.15. Do we know I, what the clock was, what the, what the time was left on the clock whenever they uh, didn't complete that pass to Stogner? Was it under four minutes? Was it under – Well, it, you're thinking of the, the drive before that where they tried to reverse to Theo Weiss, which that was the one that I think we can all agree on was a little bit too cute. It was third and seven, and they were trying to run a reverse to Weiss, who – 
I don't, I don't know if he's the right guy to be running that necessarily. And I don't think that's the right play call either. Rambo. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought it was a little strange. Um, I do like that Lincoln's being aggressive, but when you've got two minutes left, they've got no timeouts. I'd rather take off another 40 seconds knowing that for the most part, your defense has played pretty well throughout the game. And uh, so I, I kind of feel like that really let them back in it. It would also, we'll talk probably in a second about the, the clock error, but that probably would have constituted a run for sure. Well, th- that play call where they tried to pick up the third down, you know, the, the Rattler pass to Stogner, that, that's one of those situations where if, if Stogner catches that ball, it's first down, game's over. Brilliant call by Lincoln Riley, gutsy call. Uh, but, but again, incomplete pass that saves 40 seconds on the clock that Texas, you know, now has the ability to go down the football field and, and try to tie it up. But uh, again, I, I like the play that that was something that I really always liked uh, about Stoops is, you know, coaching philosophy, you know, he, he played to win, didn't, didn't play to lose and, and try to take that chance. So uh, again, I, I liked the call again, Stogner catches that football game over and we're, we're not, you know, experiencing four overtimes and in uh, another hour and a half for the football, but um again fourth quarter collapse the the um clock error by by the big 12 officials again what what do we always say big 12 refs there's a reason why there's a parody twitter account uh that 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 exists for them i I, again i i found the uh kind of the sequence and again at at the time i knew that something was wrong I, i knew that that was way too much time that they put back on there but again with everything happening so fast i couldn't figure out well you know maybe you know maybe the clock operator you know went back one play too far but uh again f- f- third down and four 608 on the clock texas snaps the ball again 608 on the clock sam elliger scrambles out to the right runs out of bounds at the 559 mark okay steps out at 559 the clock operator stops it at 557 they they set the chains and the clock winds all the way down to five minutes and 50 seconds when they stopped the, when they stopped the clock to review the play after they review, they change it to fourth and one, and they move the clock all the way back to six minutes and 36 seconds. So when they originally snapped the ball for the play that, that was under question, it was at 6.08. So how do you add 38 more seconds back to the clock when, uh, again, I, I just th- th- that, was a, that was a situation that ultimately, you know, it, it could have cost OU the football, football game, which, again, I know that uh, Texas changes their play calling if they've got less time on the clock, but – you know, you've got a you've got a one-two possession game late in the fourth quarter. You can't have something like that happen. Yeah, I, I don't know how that happened. Uh, I was in an area where I really couldn't hear hardly anything the ref was saying throughout the game. But I thought he had said six oh six, and then I saw six thirty six, and I thought, oh, the extra thirty seconds might make a big difference. Turns out it did. And uh, I, you know, if you take thirty six seconds off the clock, like like I mentioned, I think Lincoln runs the ball on that third down instead of throwing it to Stogner. Yep. And at that point, then you're looking at Texas getting the ball with 45 seconds, 30 seconds left maybe in the game to drive the entire field. Um, and it saves us, you know, another hour of our Saturday from <laughs> playing all the overtimes and nearly losing in multiple cases. So I, unexcusable. I don't know how it seems to consistently happen all the time, but frustrating and we'll, we'll move on to the overtime period but one last thing I want to ask you about before we close the book on the fourth quarter does it seem like Adam in, in these late game scenarios where OU has the lead and these teams are having you know to come back from one two touchdown deficits does Alex Grinch does he change 
not necessarily the game plan, but do, do his calls change? Because it seemed like every play on those last two possessions that, te- that Texas scored touchdowns on, OU wasn't getting any pressure. It was rush three, drop eight back. And again, we, that's the absolute, probably one of the worst calls you can make against Sam Ellinger, who once he lets his receivers get down the field, it's, it's either dink and dive all the way down or he takes off, picks up eight, picks up 10, gets out of bounds. Uh, it just seemed like the the defensive calls changed late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it, it was frustrating because the defensive line had played so well throughout the entire game. But if you're going to rush three, we just we don't have the talent quite yet to really make a ton of pressure with three. And, and that's going to be the case in almost any roster in the country. So it's frustrating that we basically let him just sit back there all day. And then even though we tried to spy him a few times, he still was able to scramble for some big yards. Uh, so it kind of goes back to the common phrase that people say, you know, prevent defense just prevents winning. <laughs> and and um, there were there were two situations, two specific times where OU had Texas in a third third and long or third and medium, third and long on both of those last minute drives where, again, you, you've got a penalty coming from, again, hate to say it, you've got Pat Fields committing three holding penalties in the, in the fourth quarter alone. So again, you've got it. You've got to clean up that laundry. You can't. You can't play really good defense and then bail the offense out by committing a you know a, a bad a bad penalty. So, uh, but again, Texas scores on their final two possessions. They tied up at 31 apiece with 14 seconds left in the fourth quarter, sending the game to overtime. When Adam, I don't know if you want to just go down here, you know, overtime by overtime, period by period, or kind of you know what what are your thoughts? Because again, we, we got we got another hour and a half worth of football after regulation ended. Yeah, I kind of, you know, once we went into overtime, I thought, man, I I don't like our chances. Anytime you give Ellinger the ball 25 yard line with his dual threat ability, I just think that, you know, their, their ability to score is, is much higher than ours. I'll say it. Uh, I thought we were going to lose. I I turned, I turned and told my dad that I said, we're going to lose this football game now. Yeah. I, I thought that I thought it again, when we started to get into the third overtime and having to go for two, because Literally, he's a machine from two yards out. So uh, I thought we had no chance uh, at that. But if you take a look at, you know, just I expected them to, you know, score pretty much every time. And it was going to be up to our offense really to to put some pressure on them. But I think the, the really, for me, the play of the game that really turned things around was I think it was third and seven in the first overtime. Spencer Rattler hit Stogner on a basically through a perfect pass, a, a risky pass, but I do love the fact that we finally are starting to realize we've got a six foot seven guy that's bigger than everybody else on the field. Let's just throw it up to him near the end zone and let him get it. And he, he did that a couple of times. He nearly got one uh, in the second overtime, but I think that was a play of the game for me that really turned things around a little bit and said, Hey, like we're, we're not skidding anymore. We're in this, we're here to win it. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. It's almost as though a light finally clicked, a light finally turned on where OU realized, hey, we've got a six foot six tied in who's a difference maker that nobody can cover, whether it's a linebacker, whether it's a safety. Uh, so, so, again, finally seeing Austin Stogner have his breakout performance a, a, as an OU player, that, that was tremendous and that went a long way in deciding, you know, the, the outcome of the football game. But uh, overtime period number one, I thought OU can uh, first two plays, OU forces Texas into a third and nine. What happens? Pat Field gives up a drag route first down. First and ten, uh, Sam Ellinger touchdown run. Jukes, Deshaun White, he kind of slips, allows Ellinger to, you know, to kind of stroll into the end zone untouched, but – Again, that that rattler pass to uh, to to Stogner was 
you know, a, a risky pass, but again, he put that ball in a, in the position that was absolutely perfect. Only Stogner could make a play on it. Uh, so again, 38, 38 after that going to overtime number two, where, you know, OU starts out with the football, um, you know, kind of stalls out on offense to, uh, to OU gets it all the way down, you know, for, first and goal can't convert. They get that fourth and goal play at the one and, I'm not quite on board with what some of the media and some of the local radio guys have been saying where, you know, Texas called that timeout right there and we knew that it was going to be a play action pass. Um, so Tom Herman might've bailed out Lincoln Riley. I'm not sure. Cause you don't know how that play is going to develop, but uh, first play. It right did after look that, good. It no, it, it did look all. good. <laughs> it, so, but again, right after that, Spencer Rattler quarterback sneak touchdown puts, puts Texas on offense. And Adam, I, I don't know how well you could see it from your vantage point on the other side, but that play on second and 10 for that, that, that was probably the worst missed call on a holding penalty that I have ever seen in my life happened right in front of us. Brian Osimo gets held. I, I, again, I'm, I'm 30 rows up in the stands. I don't know how the line judge didn't see it, but that results in Ellinger's touchdown run. And uh, again, whenever you get into the red zone, you know, that that's one of the hardest quarterbacks to try to defend is Sam L. Yeah, for sure. And and there was there was a lot of times where, um, you know, their their t- offensive tackles were just a hair away from a holding call on Isaiah Thomas. He was turning that corner hard all day long and uh, they were just getting away with it. Maybe a different ref might have called it. Um, but uh, but yeah, they were really close a lot of times. And that was a blatant, blatantly obvious one there. I do, I, I do kind of want to touch on the, uh, the fourth and goal there where, where uh, Tom Herman called the timeout right before we snapped it. It looked like it was going to be a play-action pass. I do think, you know, that is the right call. No one can really fault Tom Herman for doing that. That's, that's good coaching to take a look at the formation, call your timeout, prep your team. That's not a bad move. I think he bailed us out. I, I don't understand why Lincoln is so adverse sometimes to running the ball when you're inside the five-yard line. He is very consistent for doing all sorts of different random things. And so I'm glad that he came back out and said sneak. <laughs> and uh, I, that was the right call uh, at that point for sure. No, I, I thought it was fantastic. And just when we didn't think the game could get any more entertaining and, and more emotional of a, of a roller coaster, but going into that, that third overtime, you know, OU forces Texas, they get the ball first, forces them into a third down and 10. Nick Benito gets a huge sack. I thought that Nick Benito played absolutely fantastic. That was one of the matchups going into the game that I was excited to watch. Benito versus Sam Cosme, uh, Texas's best offensive lineman, who some people have pegged to go, you know, in the late first round as an NFL draft pick. So uh, I thought Benito played fantastic. That play on third down and 10, forcing Texas into a kicking situation was clutch. And there you go, fourth down, another big-time special teams play. Perrion Winfrey blocks the field goal. Okay, OU's got a chance, can't lose. All you need is a field goal to win the football game. You've got probably the most automatic kicker in the country up to this point. Didn't miss a field goal, didn't miss an extra point. Last year has, has been you know one, uh, a bright spot for this OU football team. OU gets him down to a uh, – what, what was it? The, OU decided to kick it on second down. Yeah, kick it on second down, absolutely shanks it to the left off his foot, and it was just one thing right after the next. So that, that sends us to a fourth overtime. Adam, I do want to ask you this. Do you agree with kicking it on second down? I think that was the right move. I mean, you had it well within his range. 
I, I can't explain why he shanked it, but I, I mean, that was, that was the right call. I, I mean, everyone was so tired at that point. Get it over with. You have a great kicker. I, I really can't fault him for missing his first kick ever last week uh, the, or the week before in Ames from 52, 53 yards. So you had to think that was just going to be a chip shot automatic for him. I don't know how he missed that. I uh, Going back over Twitter, I, I like what Gabe Eichert said. Th- that's a situation where you, you kick that football on third down. That way, if there is a you know a, a botched snap, you have the ability. You, you've got a mulligan where you can kick it again on fourth down. But when Texas's defense was gashed, you were running the football pretty consistently. Keep running the football. At any point, you know, a, a play could pop, running back could, you know, scamper off to the end zone. Uh, again, not not going to fault uh, Lincoln for that decision. Uh, when again, you've, but you've got probably I guess the best kicker in America. The argument, though, is, you know, up to this point, uh, Gabe Burkich has been pretty much perfect kicking field goals. True. Uh, whereas TJ Pledger had fumbled earlier in the game, you know, what's more likely that he fumbles or Spencer Radler keeps it and he fumbles versus Burkich shanking it. Uh, the odds are in your favor kicking that. Yeah, it, it's definitely the, the percentages are in your favor of Burkich making that kick. And, and, and again, what, what Leak and Riley said in the post game, if, if a situation happens like that later in the year, he's going to do the exact same thing. So, yeah, but again, it's one of those things kind of like, uh, kind of like what we saw earlier in the game. If, if he misses it, then everybody's going to question it. If he makes it, bam, perfect decision. Uh, OU wins, but uh, again, two two big time special teams plays uh, leading us to a fourth overtime, and finally, Adam, the game finished. Uh, Drake's what what a moment, dude! Drake stoops, Bob's son catches the game winning touchdown pass. Talk about a, a fantastic moment for that kid and that family. Yeah, that's pretty special, and uh, I hope that that's not the defining moment of his career. I hope he does continues to do bigger and bigger things. But if that's all he ever plays. That's going to be really awesome for him, and I was good to see. And I, I think one thing that is kind of underrated is how important do you think it was that we were in overtime, and after a missed kick that really kind of killed the momentum, we were able to go back on offense again right after that. I think that really helped a lot of things. Um, I think that was definitely one of the things that kind of worked in our favor because, again, w- yeah. when, when you miss a kick like that, you've got all the momentum, and that's just deflating. To, to a football team you got a chance to win the game you miss a kick it's it's just absolutely deflating so allowing your offense a chance to get right back out there uh wasn't it the first play i think it was the, maybe the i think it might have been the second it second was really play? really quick though yeah it was the exact same play that marvin mim scored his his touchdown on earlier in the first quarter so i thought that that was really good pocket po- pocket awareness by by spencer stepping up there and just firing an absolute dart to to drake uh, to, for for them to take the lead in the fourth overtime, and uh, again, you give Texas the football, and w- what happens in OU Texas when Trey Brown's on the field? He makes a big play uh, in a crunch time situation. So, um, Adam, kind of talk about Texas's last possession there in overtime, uh, le- leading to that that huge turnover. Yeah, I think getting that holding penalty honestly <laughs> saved the game for us because I'm not sure with. Ellinger's scrambling ability and, and, you know, keeping it within manageable distances on second and short, third and short. I don't know how um, the defense makes a stop. Um, and so uh, it was pretty, pretty special for Trey Brown to have another big moment. He's had a very up and down career. We've, we 
have said some things probably in the previous couple of weeks on the pod that we weren't as big of fans as some of the things he's done, but him for having a, a huge game and a big way to cap it off. And I think one thing that almost nobody realized either was if Texas had gone down, scored, I feel like the two point conversion was basically automatic because Ellinger's just going to run a sweep off tackle and dive in. Power. Yeah. But if, if that had happened and they had tied it up, we go into a fifth overtime, which I believe would be the very first time in college football that we would have extended to the new format, which was alternating two point plays. And, and I think, gotta, I think that's the you, dumbest rule. I would love it if it was anybody, but teams that, I cared about. <laughs> I think it would be, <laughs> it would be so exciting if, you know, LSU and A&M had done that a few years ago, but to, to see that. And then you kind of, cause it changes that dynamic, you know, Ellinger was so good on a two point conversion play. Exactly. Uh, Spencer Radler. I don't know what we would get. Um, if, if that would be much of competition or if it would end pretty quickly. Well, if you're going to sit there and trade two point conversion plays, when you're spotting the football on the three yard line, that's a huge advantage for Texas when, when you've got Ellinger's running ability. So, uh, but again, luckily didn't make it to that point. And again, we, something that we didn't even talk about. How about that pass that uh, that Rattler threw to to Theo Weiss on that two point conversion play? That's probably the best pass he's made all year. Yeah, I mean, it had to be perfect. It had mm-hmm. to be absolutely perfect. And uh, he nailed it. And then uh, not not an easy pass to catch either. And and Weiss uh, we snagged it. I think he took a major step forward. He didn't have great like eye-popping stats, but pretty much all of his catches were for first downs, two-point conversions. He He's looking like the possession guy that you can really trust to get a really contested catch. Whereas uh, Rambo has been put in that position and he's got the speed to burn on those, on those deep passes, but him trying to make a contested pass, uh, you know, coming back to the sticks on a, on a comeback route. And he, he's continually gotten the ball knocked out of his hands. So, um, I'd love to see Weiss get a lot more opportunity uh, to be the lead guy going forward. And, and I think that he's a huge, he's a big time playmaker for you. And again, he didn't, he didn't flash. He didn't have a huge, you know, big play, long touchdown, long touchdown catch. But again, when, when a play needed to be made, when a catch needed to happen, you know, Weiss was the most consistent, you know, offensive uh, player on that football team, especially late in the in the second half and uh, d- during those overtime periods. So. Well, uh, again, OU wins 53-45, most points ever scored in the 116th playing of the Red River rivalry. I'll call it a shootout, showdown, whatever you want to do, but it was truly a shootout on Saturday. So, Adam, looking back at it right now, and again, we both had a chance to kind of watch the game back, you know, the TV broadcast. Who who was your impact player, the guy that you were most, either most excited about or someone that truly – uh, stuck out and, and had the biggest impact. Give me, give me one on offense, one on defense. Yeah. For defense, I got to go with David Aguebu. Uh, you know, he had the blocked punt, which was awesome. He had a sack, which was great, but I think the the play that really stood out to me the most was something that excited me more was because it's, it's repeatable. He can do this all game long and it can make a huge impact. Um, there was a, just a, a wide receiver screen off to the side that uh, Texas threw and, he ran up, engaged the the blocking receiver, uh, just blew him up. He was so much bigger than the the receiver, knocked him right back into the lap of the receiver that, that actually was catching the ball. And then I think it might have been Buki who was able to just run in and, and tackle the guy for a loss. So that's the type of play that I love seeing from a middle linebacker. And the the speed and size that he has is, I guess, <laughs> Kenneth Murray was somewhat similar 
but uh, but he looks he looks totally different than all the other linebackers we have out there. And I think he's starting to really find his groove. It's a newer position for him, so I'm excited to see what he does in the future. I thought the Uguaybu was fantastic, and again, I'm I'm not sure if you noticed it during you know w- watching the game live or you know back during the telecast watching it on TV. During the entire four overtime period, your two middle linebackers were Brian Osamoa and David Uguaybu. Deshaun White was nowhere to be found. Is it? Am I going too far out on a limb, saying that those are your two best linebackers right now? I know that Deshaun White he's been he's been consistent. He hasn't been great, hasn't been bad. But when you again, when you talk about the instincts, the athletic ability, the size, the strength of a David Uguaybu, is he should he be your starting linebacker right now? I think Brian Mead has a real case here, dude. <laughs> I, I sent you, I sent you that that Snapchat. What watched it back the other night, and again, there was no chance he was going to make that play. But he had a chance. He met Sam Ellinger right in the hole down there at the goal line, and just absolutely whiffed. And again, I know that Grinch is is all about the rotation, getting fresh bodies in there. We want to play a lot of guys. I do not want to see that kid on the field. In crutch time, late in the fourth quarter, when you need a big time stop, you've got Brian Mead out there at the middle linebacker position. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to rip on the kid, but I mean, you can't do that. Yeah, I think we're getting closer to having a lot more depth. Uh, Shane Witters, uh, true freshman right now, but I think you know pretty soon we'll see where you know those types of former walk-ons aren't aren't having any time i think you're right i think guaybu and, and Osamo are your two guys that by the end of the year should be your starters and getting the majority of the snaps well before we turn it over to the offensive side uh, my uh, impact player of the game on the defensive side of the football i gotta go with woody washington um I, again i thought that his his performance was outstanding his you know his, his tackling ability i thought that he made some really good open field tackles tackles in some crucial moments um thought that you know his his coverage uh, in, in the passing game, you know, not, not just the interception late in the fourth quarter, uh, taking the ball away, you know, from, from Ellinger in the end zone. But I thought that he was exceptional in, in pass coverage all day long, you know, pass breakups. It was nice to finally see, an, uh, and again, it, it's been so inconsistent for the last three, four, five years, but it was nice to finally see an OU defensive back make a play on a football where both him and the receiver is in a position to make the catch and Washington goes up there and essentially takes the ball away from him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, That's a performance from the cornerback that we haven't seen in quite a while. Motley was, was pretty solid last year, but not a lot of balls got thrown his way. So um, it it was good to see from Washington. Yeah, and, and coming out of that game, I, I think that it's definitely got to be a you know a, a big bright spot, something for fans to look forward to. I think that you finally got that three man rotation at the cornerback position established. You've got Jane Davis, you've got Trey Brown, and now you can throw Woody Washington out there and feel confident about it. So definitely a lot to look forward to at the cornerback position. So uh, you had a Guaybu, I had Woody Washington. Uh, turn over the offensive side of the football. Who's your uh, who's your impact player of the game? Yeah, um, this was a little bit tougher because, again, there weren't very many eye-popping stats from hardly anyone. Um, I I do I didn't want to cop out with the offensive line, just use them as a group, but they did have a big improvement from Iowa State to this week. So uh, kind of a result of that, though, was TJ Pledger had a, a big day, and he did fade a little bit after the third quarter, and he, he had that, that fumble. But 
I thought he was really strong running the ball, uh, finding the lanes and, uh, and a, a big piece of that was the offensive line, but he was running really hard and uh, he was seeing where, where the openings were. So um, good to see him be the first runner of the year over hundred yards in a game. It'll be interesting to see how that position group evolves going forward. McGowan should be back next week. Ramondre Stevenson potentially the week after that. So um, it's going to get a little crowded in the running back room, which is great news. Uh, means we'll have some some big time options. So um, hopefully TJ can can continue to contribute at a high level though. Yeah, I thought the pleasure was fantastic. Again, having over 100 yards rushing, a couple of touchdowns. I thought he was patient. You don't want to see you know the fumbles like like he had earlier in the game, but uh, again, the performance by that guy. Talk about seizing the moment where McGowan, you know, concussion. He's out for the game. This is truly his time to kind of take that position by the reins, and and I thought he was fantastic. Uh, there was a couple different ways I could go for my impact player of the game. Probably too cliche to go with Austin Stogner. I thought he was fantastic. He made some big-time catches. Same could be said for Theo Weiss, Drake Stoops, having, you know, the the play of his career, something that, you know, we always talk about at an OU Texas. There's always that game-defining play that you'll remember for forever. So uh, Drake Stoops' play was fantastic. I'm going to go a little bit unconventional here i'm gonna go anton harrison at the left tackle position true freshman starting your first offensive or your first red river rivalry game one of the things that i was most looking forward to watching again was was the battle of the line of scrimmage for both of these teams and anton harrison when you've got joseph asai who is probably texas's best defensive player at, at that you know outside pass rusher I thought that that was going to be a strength of Texas on the defensive side of the ball, a, a guy that they would be able to, you know, kind of move around, get pressure on Rattler. And I thought for the most part, Anton Harrison shut that guy down. Um, th there's no more important position in football other than quarterback than that left tackle spot, protecting the quarterback's blind side. I thought that he played well. Footwork was good. He held up well in pass protection. I thought he did a tremendous job in the run, in the run blocking throughout the game. So stock up definitely on Anton Harrison and, um, I, I'm sure that we'll see it again in two weeks, but uh, there is absolutely no reason why Eric Swinchin should should start the game at left tackle when Harrison's been, you know, tremendous. So I'm not sure if that's a practice thing or what, what what's going on, but there's no doubt about it. Anton Harrison is is the starting left tackle, and he's your best player at that position. So, um, Adam, I see you got one other thing uh, kind of here on this rundown before we kind of you know talk about big picture stuff. You've got the OU Texas record here. Yeah, it is now 62, 49, and 5 uh, in favor of Texas. So we're, we're really uh, probably very close to seeing this happen in our lifetime. If I'm doing my math right and we're, we continue the pace that, uh, of winning that rivalry game that we've been on since 2000, roughly around 2050 is when we'll see uh, OU take the lead in the series. I think there's probably a lot of people that um, – thought we might never see that happen but uh it looks like it's going to happen in our lifetime which will be pretty special so maybe let's see what you said 2050 so hopefully if it's around that time uh, i guess we'll we'll be buying those senior discounted tickets at games so, uh, <laughs> yes yeah. uh, so something to look Sign forward to up. also yeah ho hopefully we're not quite in the ada section yet hopefully we're moving around a little bit better but I, it, uh, it could could happen faster. I mean, if we see some more OU Texas what, Big the ADA? championship oh, matchups, okay. <laughs> no, no, not for us, no. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean that's as close as it's ever been. I everyone keeps saying surely Texas will turn it around at some point, but um, 
We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> we'll dive into Texas here in a second. Big picture. You know, what, it's an absolute dumpster fire down in Austin right now. The message boards are are off the chain. I absolutely love it. Give me every single OU message or Texas message board meltdown right now. Uh, but, Adam, before we dive into Texas, w- w- this win, I, I, is it? Too, am I going too far in saying that this was a program – defining win or a season defining win if you had a 31 17 lead it, texas comes all the way back if you lose that football game you go to one and three that's an absolute moral crushing defeat to an ou football team who many people already consider to be in the middle of a rebuilding year you've got COVID 19 sc- stuff going on do more players opt out i thought that the fight and the toughness that, that ou showed when they had their backs against the wall on saturday afternoon I thought that that was a huge, huge victory for, for them to come out with a W against Texas on Saturday. So uh, is that a is that a program-defining win or just a good momentum builder? I guess maybe I have a little bit different definition of a program-defining win. I, I think of a program-defining win as maybe like a, a national championship, uh, maybe like a Boise State over OU in the Fiesta Bowl, something that everyone knows that program. I, I don't know that OU is capable of a program-defining win by my definition at this okay. point. Okay, let me let me try to rephrase that. Is well, is OU I could say a season like changing win, possibly. Okay. okay. Yeah, I I mean. It's interesting. You look at a lot of the problems that we had. I think the offensive line took a big step forward. A big result of that is the running game looks better. The quarterback looks better. Offensively, it looks it looks a lot cleaner. Defensively, I was really impressed that the mentality, uh, you know, we talked about how much and how important that is for missed tackles because in a lot of cases, the guys were in the right spot and they, they just couldn't make the tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was impressed with that. I think you know, the, the way that that turned around in just a week was, was great. We'll see if it can continue. I, I don't know that it was surprisingly, Texas didn't really challenge Buki a whole lot with some of their bigger receivers. And that was certainly a problem that Iowa State exploited. So, I, I, you know, I don't know that TCU has a guy like that. I, the rest of the Big 12 really doesn't have very many guys like that. So we might get away with it for the rest of the year without really knowing. But I do think that they, they took a big step forward. There's still a lot of things that, that need to continue to improve. We, we still need Weiss or Stogner to really step up and, and be the go-to guy for sure. We need Rattler to continue with his pocket presence and decision-making. But I think it's a major step in the right direction. Yeah, I think that, you know, we asked ourselves when we were kind of playing in the show, what are a couple things that OU needs to improve upon moving past this, this win against Texas? And for me, there, there's two things that stick out. One, you've got to you, you've got to find some stability at the safety position. DTY, he's been good, his spot's safe. But you you've got to find, I don't know if it's if it's a better player, but you've got to get more production out of that other safety position that Pat Field is currently playing. So hopefully during this bye week, that does give OU the opportunity to, to get some of those younger guys that are that weren't quite ready a couple weeks ago. You've got to get them up to speed, kind of throw them into the rotation. Uh, and try to get a little bit more productivity out of that other safety spot. Uh, and, and for me, the second one, you got to continue to run the football. That, that was a hu- that's been a huge staple of, of Lincoln's offense ever since he you know truly arrived at OU. You jump on teams early, get a big lead. How do you close it out in the second half? You run the football. You wear the other team down. So 
OU's, it sounds like, you know, we, we heard it earlier this week. OU's about to get a lot of help. Chris Murray, his, his eligibility, he's finally back. Um, I've seen some film on him. We've heard a lot of good things from, from, you know, insiders around the program. Sounds like he could potentially be taking one of those guard spots, you, you know, here in the next game or two. Um, so again, you know, uh, you know, allowing that offensive line to gel really improve and, you're going to get Ramondre Stevenson back, probably one of the top two, three backs in the Big 12 um, back in the rotation here in the next week or two. So uh, th- there's definitely some help along the way that's going to improve the production of this OU running game. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I do think, you know, in this game, OU looked like the more physical uh, team for sure. I, I know Texas has a lot of really talented guys, but they're not known for being the physically dominant team. So I, I don't know that we'll get challenged much on that. I think Iowa State and Kansas State were the, are probably the two toughest, most physical teams in the league. I think Oklahoma State will be tough. TCU might be, um, but I think, I think we've, we've got the, them beat on the physical side. And then you got Tech, Kansas, West Virginia. I mean, none of those teams are going to challenge us physically. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And, and again, OU is going to be favored in every game the rest of the way. They're going to be more highly talented uh, on paper than any team that they've got left on the schedule. So, uh, again, they've just got to go out, they've got to perform, and they've got to do it. So, um, coming out of that Texas game, Adam, and again, OU moving to 2-2, two and 1-2 two, and two in, in Big 12 Conference play, their Big 12 cha- title ch- hopes, they're, they're still out there. O- OU still has a chance to win the Big, t- Big 12. Again, they're going to have a lot of help. There's going to be some things that are going to have to go their way. Um, but there's a blueprint out there now. There's, there's a roadmap. OU's got to win out. Um, it, it's been interesting listening to, you know, whether it's fans on the message boards, listening to local radio. I feel like people, and again, we could be totally wrong about this, but I feel like people are going to are, are be rooting for the wrong teams in order to, to, to provide the help for OU. Everybody that I'm hearing is say, you've got to cheer for OSU. OSU has got to win out. Whereas that's the complete opposite, right? OU's got to win yeah. out. And we need to be the biggest Iowa State Cyclone fans in the world right now because Iowa State still has OSU and K-State, two teams that are ahead of us right now. They've still got to play them. They've got to beat them to give both of those teams one conference loss. You need OSU to beat K-State. That gives K State two losses, that and then that that uh, that frees it up for OU ultimately having to play OSU and hand them their second loss. OU would therefore hold the tiebreaker, and then you just need K State to lose one more game when they've still got a Texas and a Baylor on the schedule looming. So OU is going to need a lot of help, but you know the Big Twelve uh, title hopes uh, probably a little bit better than on live support right now. Yeah, I mean probably the biggest game coming up here is Oklahoma State is uh is playing Iowa State in Stillwater on the 24th that'll be a really good one to watch if uh if Iowa State can pull that off they're looking pretty good Kansas Baylor Kansas State at Texas West Virginia that's not the most difficult schedule so um, like their odds to run the table if they can get past Oklahoma State and that'll end up helping OU in the process K-State's a little bit more interesting. Uh, you know, they, Skylar Thompson is, is out for the year. So they are going to play the backup. I don't know if that makes that big of a difference for them, or maybe it will. It didn't at TCU. They were still able to come out with the W. Um, they play Kansas on the 24th. And then these are, are their final five games. We need them to lose three out of these five. Cause I, I don't think they're going to lose to Kansas. Uh, they're at West Virginia. That's a tough road trip. 
Neil Brown looks like he has West Virginia head in the right direction, but they're still not the greatest team. Oklahoma State at home, I think, you know, I, I don't necessarily trust OSU for sure, but uh, we need OSU to beat K-State. At Iowa State, I think, you know, that's a, uh, a good opportunity to get a loss there. At Baylor, who knows what Baylor will be like by that point in the season. They can't even get get their team on the field. And then they round out uh, the finale at home versus Texas. I don't know. Uh, Texas will be more talented, but I don't know what their mentality is going to look like by then. So uh, K-State's the one that you, I think we have to keep our, our eye on the most. Well, big-time Cyclone fans, and as much as I hate to say it, we'll definitely have to be cheering for for Texas and, and uh, OSU to, to win a couple games. That, that's going to be crucial for OU to get back to Dallas to, to rematch against Iowa State. And – Adam, there's there's a lot to be excited about this OU football team. Again, I'm not sure if this is a good team or if they're just they're an above average team that found a way to win a close game against an arch rival. But th- there's definitely a lot of reason to be optimistic about the rest of this OU football season coming off of a big win against Texas. Think about all the players that they're going to get back. Think about how all all the help, the all the reinforcements that are, that are headed their way when you're. Well, well, this will kind of be our transition into uh, the, the the suspension talk, but you're going to get Trajan Bridges back. You're going to get Ramondre Stevenson back. Jaden Hazelwood should be ready to go in the next two to three weeks. Talk about some big-time weapons that you're going to add uh, and give Spencer Rattler just more tools to play with. Um, but, again, kind of the elephant in the room that, that's been talked about. Nobody truly – uh, again, I don't know if anybody has it or if nobody's really saying anything. What's going on with Ronnie Perkins? We thought he was going to be back for Texas. They said he was cleared going into Iowa State, and he didn't even make the trip down to Dallas this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what a debacle if this turns out to to be another failed test, uh, which I think would probably would probably put him out for another six games, which basically means he's done for the year. I mean, I don't know how you can get to this point, have an opportunity to, to get through that, and then and basically screw up the process to get back onto the field. You have you have to know it's coming too. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, there's a lot of rumors floating out there about what happened, what this means, what's what his uh, status is for the future. I guess one positive way to look at this is maybe he's done this year, but it guarantees he'll come back and. 2021 which is when we kind of feel like the stars are going to align for OU absolutely I I, I don't know he's to me he's headed in the direction of uh, Devontae Lampkin territory which I don't obviously different scenarios but uh, Lampkin went to the NFL a year early and um, I don't think he's even on a practice squad anymore I think he he really didn't get much of a chance to show what he could do I'd hate for Perkins to, I don't think Perkins is in the same territory as far as uh, he'll make a practice squad, but I would be concerned that he would just leave early um, after this season and just say, forget it. Well, and, <laughs> and I then think that the may most, really affect his prospects in the NFL. Well, I think the most frustrating thing about it is he's a first round talent. I, I mean, you, you put him back out there on the field, he's automatically the best player, not only on OU's defense, but he's probably the best player on the field no matter who we're playing in the Big 12. But, uh, again, it, it's so frustrating. When, when you get suspended for failing a drug test for, for smoking weed, which, again, that's in today's age, that, that's the dumbest rule in, in the world. So, uh, But, again, w- when you're trying to come back, you're trying to get cleared, have your suspension you know, not just appealed but reduced by the NCAA – 
you've got to know that a drug test is coming. You've got to know that you're going to have to pass it. And I don't know if selfish is the wrong word, but to fail a drug test right before OU Texas, and, and again, we don't know all the details, but it, it's just, it's a bad look, dude, especially when you are that talented and you can make millions of dollars at the next level. If he does come back next year, oh my God, am I excited about OU's defensive line group going into 2021, especially when you're going to get Jalen Redmond to come back. We've seen the steps that Isaiah Thomas, Perrion Winfrey, Josh Elson's making plays. You throw in all those young guys. I don't know if you saw the picture of Kelvin Gilliam that was floating Ooh. around social media last <laughs> night. That dude's a stud. Yeah. So uh, it's just so weird right now. And one thing that we have to remember is even back before the Peach Bowl last year, that was another situation where, uh, by all accounts, the players all knew that the testing was coming. And again, it was a selfish move and uh, foolish to think that they could get past it, whether they thought the rule was good or, or not good or whatever. Um, it just shows lack of following instructions and and playing, you know, by the you know for the team. But so. Uh, I think if he had opted out at the beginning of the year, not even attempted to play this year, he could have gone pro and probably been drafted second, third round and had a solid NFL career. If he indeed failed it a second time, like that raises a lot of red flags where teams are thinking, man, can this guy just follow simple instructions um, and be a good, good teammate for our organization. So this might force him to come back. Otherwise I think if he, if he played half a year and had a great uh, half of the season, he might've been a potential um, early entry to the draft well when when you've got players that are that are playing on Sundays in the NFL that you know have have raped women DUIs and things like that I, I don't know how much stock's going to be put into a uh, it, it might definitely affect your ability as, especially with the NFL draft your position on the board for all these teams but it, it's just uh, I, I will say there's a there's a difference between like a Tyreek Hill situation I don't particularly care for that and the way that he continues to play um I don't know all the details either to know what what's really the truth there. But I mean, he was a guy that, you know, he had some situations coming out of college, but then he, he wasn't drafted super high and he, he went out and proved himself on the field. That's a lot harder to cut ties with that guy versus a Ronnie Perkins who hasn't done anything in the league yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're one of the best players of your position in the entire NFL, the you're definitely going to get some more leeway and, you know, definitely going to get some more leniency uh, in terms of punishments and, and forgiveness and, and second chances. So, um, but again, we'll, we'll see what happens with all that. Again, no, I, I, I won't believe anything until I actually see him suit up for warmups for, for any of those guys for that matter. So, well, Adam, it, it was a big jolt for, for OU coming out of that game. A lot of good momentum. Same cannot be said for the university of Texas and Tom Herman. Um, dude, what a, I, I don't even want to know where we want to start with this. University of Texas, it, we see the same thing year after year. Nobody does does less with more than, than Texas. You talk about the recruiting that they have. This was supposed to be their year. You had a, you had your senior quarterback that started 37 football games. These are Herman's guys. This is a veteran leadership-type team. And, dude, they should be one and three right now. They're, they're two and two. Just lost to probably the worst OU team in the last five years. Why is there so much pressure on Texas? And honestly, dude, why why can they never right the ship and truly get over the hump? Yeah, just in watching a lot of fan reactions, listening to 
podcast from Texas media over the last couple of days, it really shined a light to me that I didn't really realize how many cultural issues there were. Um, there was so many, so much commentary, not about the game, but about the eyes of Texas. And um, obviously that's really controversial. I don't know all the details of that situation, but the fact that they can't figure out a solution that, that works for everybody is just a huge mess. And you've got, we've seen it all the way going back into the off season where guys were saying they're off the team and then they're, they're back on the team. We had a guy that I think quit during the UTEP game and then he was back a few weeks later. Uh, it's just a total mess. There's, there's no accountability anywhere. There's no authority um, everybody's got their own self-interests and it's just a, it's a total mess. Well, we knew that there were definitely, you know, whether it's culture problems or, or problems, you know, inside that locker room. Uh, I thought that it was extremely telling when you've got the eyes of Texas playing uh, at the Cotton Bowl and Sam Ellinger is the only player, you know, down there on their end of the field singing and holding the, you know, the horns up. So, um, and again, going back to it, we talked about it going into the game, but there was so much so much pressure on on Tom Herman and and this Texas team. Like I said, this is the worst OU team that they've played in the last five six years. You talk about all the suspensions. Oh, uh, listen to this, Adam. OU was without Seth McGowan starting running back, Ronnie Perkins starting defensive end, all all American type player. Ramondre Stevenson, Trajan Bridges, Jalen Redmond, Caleb Kelly, Kennedy Brooks, Jaden Hazelwood, Justin Harrington, Chris Murray. You had a and you had a redshirt freshman quarterback against your guy, your fourth year senior in Sam Ellinger, in a in a year that that many people, especially after the two losses, oh, you pegged from the beginning as a rebuilding year, and Texas still can't get it done. You are the head coach at Texas. People hire you to come beat OU year in and year out. And Tom Herman is now one in four against the Sooners. So, what what, what does that what what does that mean for for Tom Herman moving forward? Because we both read the message boards. People are calling for his job. They've already got the wish list of coaches that that they want to see take that take over that position in Austin. Um, but it, again, it does not look good for Herman right now. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it before the game. I, I don't know how the optics of that. Well, I said before, I don't know how the optics of that look in a year like this, but I, after the way Saturday went down and the, the turmoil around the program, the optics might have flipped in my mind to the point where it's like, I don't know how you get away with keeping him at this point. Uh, he does have a buyout, I think uh, somewhere between 15 and $20 million. That's not that much money for a couple of big time donors to get together and, 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 and find. They can, they can cut that check tomorrow. Yeah, I know there's also a buyout for for the assistants too. So, and I know Mike Yursich has a, a pretty hefty buyout uh, as well. So, it, the bill continues to add. And then, you know, when you go get a guy, you have to pay his buyout if he's already in a job, and create a, probably a new contract that, uh, you know, pays seven, eight million dollars a year um, for the type of guy that they want. It is going to be very costly to do that, but. At the same time, it might be costly not to do that because of Bingo. The, the, the amount of fans that are, are going to stop going to games, are going to stop donating. Um, there's a lot of big money donors threatening to pull money right now because they can't figure out the eyes of Texas situation. Um, total mess, uh, mess, everything that's going on down there. I, I do not envy that at all. Well, the, the eyes of Texas situation and the culture problem, that's not only affecting the, you know, the – the, the players inside the program right now, 
but you're also starting to see the negativity that it's affecting on the recruiting trail that when, when you're trying to convince these mom and dads and kids to trust me with, you know, being able to coach your son and, and invite them into your program. It's, it, it's a dumpster fire right now. And, and like you said, we, we know what it's like, you know, from, from our time working at OU and it's just, it's the same way, if not more down in Texas, when you've got these big time donors and you've got a football program like the university of Texas, that's bringing in, tens and hundreds of million dollars to that university every single year sure the optics from a pr standpoint it may not be good timing right now to let a coach go and buy him out 15.4 million dollars especially when you've had to lay off you know dozens of athletic department employees and you've had staff salary reductions you know across the university wide but Again, like you said, there comes a point where keeping a person around is more detrimental to the future of your program. And it's even gotten to a point now, Adam, where you're seeing the the Austin, the Texas beat riders, they're starting to turn on Herman. Yeah, I mean, it's a mess down there. And uh, Chris Del Conte, the athletic director, I thought he was, you know, really highly regarded uh, coming from TCU down to Austin. But he hasn't been able to keep control of, you know, the situation around the, the song and that's going to be something that affects all sports. Uh, it's not just football, the basketball's, you know, about to start up here and they don't have a plan for how they're going to, you know, what they're going to say for the players to do or not do, or, you know, it's, it's just a mess. And it, you can tell in the football program, everyone's got their own agenda. It's everybody's doing their own thing, serving themselves, uh, you've got Sam out there trying to, you know, uh, be a leader. No one's following him. He feels like a captain that's, you know, going down with the ship. So it's a it's a sad situation. They need to get the they need to get everything under control. Well, and again, we're being an OU fan. Biggest rivals to, is, is is Texas. You know, I I want Herman to stay there as as long as humanly possible. But um, I, I think that that's a good transition. You were talking about Sam Ellinger kind of going down with the ship being the only guy out there for the eyes of Texas as his teammates and, and some of the coaches also, you know, walk into the locker room. Uh, Sam Ellinger is now one in four uh, against OU. It seems like Texas quarterbacks, you look at Vince Young, you look at Colt McCoy, how you're remembered, how your legacy, you know, lives on is what you do in those Red River rivalry games. So, Ellinger going to one and four. I, I, me personally, I know he's a quarterback of Texas. I respect the hell out of that kid. Uh, again, yeah. I know that he's, I, I don't know what his future is going to look like in, a, in an NFL uniform, but th- that dude's tough as nails. Like, yeah, I, I don't know how, as an OU fan, as a, as a, you know, fan from a rival school, I don't know how you can't watch that game on Saturday. He single handedly willed that team back into that game and, uh, you, you just you're you kind of got to feel bad for the kid because he's not th- that hard that fire that desire that he you know puts out there on the field every single Saturday. I, I don't know if I see that from too many guys, if any, on the rest of that Texas football team. Yeah, I mean he certainly has his shortcomings. He's not the the greatest passer, but uh, he's he's more than good enough, and his running ability is is more than enough to really propel Texas to do a lot more than what they've done. Uh, in his time there. And so um, he does play his heart out. I have, uh, he's kind of an interesting character off the field and some of the quotes that we've gotten over the years, but um, 
I don't know. I, it's hard for me to feel sorry for anything that <laughs> goes wrong at Texas, but it's interesting just to see the the way that his career is is probably going to end. It looks like it's not going to be good. Um, and, and everyone had such high hopes for him after his freshman and sophomore seasons. And um, he could still come back next year. <laughs> he still could. Uh, maybe, and maybe that's a good segue back into, you know, some coaching options. Maybe it depends on if they fire Herman and who they get. Um, I, I put together a quick list of, of potential guys that they could replace Herman with if they decide to go that route. I'm just going to, I'll go pretty quickly through them just to get your, your basic thoughts. Um, the one that everyone talks about obviously is urban Meyer. I, I don't know if that's possible. What do you think? If they can get him, I think that that's a tremendous hire. I'm not sure, especially, you know, urban, you know, he, he's making, he's got a pretty, pretty good job right now. Pretty cushy job, you know, TV. Um, I don't know if he wants to go into a situation like that down in Austin right now where the politics is probably at an all-time high compared to other programs in college football. I don't know if he wants to do that at this point in his life. I think he's probably got to be pretty content right now playing golf three days a week, doing TV a couple days also. Um, but again, if they could pull off that hire, I, I think that that's, you know, that that's a, that's an all-time hire if Texas could pull that off. Yeah. To me, he kind of feels like the Nick Saban talk uh, when they fired Charlie Strong. It's like, no, it's not realistic. I think Urban's probably waiting out for USC or Notre Dame. I think those are much better fits for him. Uh, second on the list, I've got Matt Campbell. I like it. I don't know if that's a sexy enough pick for the Texas Boosters. The, the reason why I like the pick is I think he's an outstanding football coach. You look at the talent level that he has at Iowa State, he gets the absolute most out of his guys. They play hard for him. They're they're tied for first in the Big 12 right now. And what what's the theme with Texas every year? They've got, you know, they've got a top 5 recruiting class. They've always got one of the best rosters in America, but coaches can't develop that talent. So you put a guy like Matt Campbell in that position where he does have that superior talent on his football team. Um I I wouldn't be opposed to that as an OU fan. I don't want to see that happen, but I think that'd be a good hire by Texas. Yeah. I don't think they would want him. Uh, I think he could be solid there. I could also see like a shock of smart type thing happening, you know, with their basketball program where he's really solid at a smaller school and not so great at Texas. Um, Third on the list. I have Josh Heupel. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. He, (laughs) He might have a little bit of a bone to pick with OU um he hasn't been nearly as friendly with us since he got fired or rather chose to leave (laughs) from his offensive coordinator role so maybe he has some motivation I mean it's hard to say no to a program like Texas when you're at UCF oh I definitely think he takes the job if they offer it to him but I don't I don't see Texas I I I don't know I I think that they could do better and not saying he's a bad football coach but you know University of Texas I I, I don't know if Josh Heupel, you know, fits that mold. Wild card here. This would be great for entertainment. Lane Kiffin. <laughs> um, well, he almost beat Alabama, and apparently he might have given Nick Saban COVID. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that that could definitely be one uh, as far as, you know, getting the, uh, you know, ha- having a truly dynamic offense. For your football team, I think that there's probably a lot of a lot of drama, a lot of baggage that, that comes with with hiring, you know, Lane Kiffin as your as your head coach. So um, wouldn't be the worst hire in the world, but I don't know if I would see Texas offering him that job. 
Is that the last one you've got? Because I want to throw a couple back at you. I've I've got a whole bunch more. Oh, uh, this away. next one. This next one I think is probably the one that they should they should back up the Brinks truck for uh, if they have the opportunity. James Franklin. I I like that. Um, right now, Adam is is a Texas program that's you know down and out. Is that a better job than than Penn State? You know, there's been some talk that, you know, I, he hasn't really broken through at Penn State, not a single playoff appearance. So he might be a little bit underappreciated there. He has to go through Ohio State uh, and to some level Michigan every single season. So maybe it's more attractive just to be at Texas and I mean, you still have OU, but at least you can get to the Big 12 championship game uh, even after a loss to OU. And um, I think he's got the personality and ability to kind of bridge some of those cultural issues at Texas. So he, he's probably, well, maybe I'll talk about the second guy on my list or the next guy here. He might have some of those abilities too. How about PJ Fleck? I don't, I don't, I don't know if he's proven enough. If, if he's got the resume quite yet for Texas to go all in on and, and invest. He might, he might have a good year this year though. He could, he could, um, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much football the Big Ten is going to is going to actually play. Not having any bye weeks. I, I think that he's um, he's kind of similar to Riley from the standpoint where he's a hot he's a hot up and coming coach. Um, he's young, uh, relates well with the players. You see all the videos on social media. The row the boat, him crowd surfing in the locker room. It's a little gimmicky. Um, yeah, it's a little gimmicky. I, I, again, it, I, I'm not sure how well that plays in to what's currently going on down in Austin right now, but I, I don't think that would be the worst hire in the world. I just don't yeah. know if, if he's got enough, if he's got enough experience or if, if he's done enough winning uh, to, to, to be ready for that job. True. Uh, a guy that uh, has maybe feels some of that underappreciation from his fan base is Gus Malzahn. He makes quite a bit more money uh, than Tom Herman makes right now. So you'd really have to pay out for him, but, Maybe he'd be interested. Uh, next, I, I don't. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not a huge Gus Malzahn fan. I, I don't know. I'm not either. Um, I, he's kind of that. I mean, Auburn has that every other year thing going on. So, uh, well, I, I don't know. Next candidate. I, that, that one's <laughs> that one's not appealing to me. Next uh, is Hugh Freeze. Off to a four zero start <laughs> at, on the at Liberty. Liberty. <laughs> About to uh, beat I don't know. Syracuse on Saturday. I don't know. I don't. What, let me ask you this: When was the last time Liberty started a season four and zero? Oh, it would have been probably like 2010, 2011 time frame. That's that's much better than I thought. I, I don't know. That wouldn't be the. What, what was Hugh? Free, what was he doing before Liberty? Uh, that, he got fired from Ole Miss. I think right. maybe he was he was an offensive coordinator, or or no, he considered some offensive coordinator roles in the SEC. I think so. I mean, he, his name gets floated up for like when Southern Miss or somebody like that job opens. I don't know if Texas is ready to take a risk on somebody like that. So yeah. maybe something more stable like uh, Brent Venables. I, I think that I mean, you'd be tripling his salary at least. Well, Venables name, it, it comes up every single year. Uh, there's always one to two high power, you know, college football programs that always fire their coach. And Venables is always on the short list. For, for interviews. I, I'm not sure he he's been a defensive coordinator for, it seems like what the last 20 years. Um, 
honestly, who's got the, who's got a better job in America right now from an assistant coach standpoint? You look at the talent he's got at, at Clemson. I mean, he's making two and a half million dollars. I guess what close to three million dollars. He's got both of his kids playing for him at, at Clemson right now. And the fact that you're going to leave that stability, that program right now, to to take a chance to go down to Austin, um, I, I think it'd be a tremendous hire. Um, and I think that he could definitely, especially from a discipline standpoint and changing the culture, um, that, I think that'd be a good hire if they could pull that off. But I don't know. I, I can't see Venables having too much interest in, in that job. Maybe not. Um, I guess one of his sons, uh, his sons are freshmen and sophomores, so he probably wouldn't. But tripling your salary is uh, is pretty nice. <laughs> and he's been around so many championship teams, so having that, being able to bring that culture would be pretty big. Uh, I don't know if this guy would consider that uh, the, the Texas job, but uh, Matt Rule has taken, uh, you know, a, a rebuild job at Baylor with some uh, off the field issues. I think he could do really well with that. I don't, I don't see him taking a taking a step away from the NFL we we saw what he did at Baylor the impact that he had there was probably no tougher position that a coach has been in in quite some time when you talk about the you know what Art Bryles left at Baylor leaving that program up in shambles and then you inject Matt Rule into that situation where you know he he writes the ship gets that program back and, and leads him to a big 12 championship appearance um I think that he is a highly undervalued coach, and he's he's gotten off to a pretty good start this year. He's won his last three games uh, with Carolina Panthers, despite ha- not having Christian McCaffrey, uh, his best player. So I think that he's a phenomenal coach. Um, but again, I, I'm not entirely sure if if that would be a job that would be super enticing to Matt Rule, considering he's doing so well early on in his uh, coaching career in the NFL. Um, but I definitely would try to schedule an interview with the guy. Yeah, I, I mean, of that list, I don't see anything that really stands out. If you can get James Franklin, Irvin Meyer, like, absolutely do it. None of the other guys really stand out to me, though. Let me throw two names at you uh, to get your thoughts on. Let, let, let me give you my, my reason for why I pick him and see if you feel the same way. Gary Patterson. Why? Why would he? <laughs> you talk about uh, a coach highly – Highly disciplinary te- in his in his teaching. Very no, it sim- makes sense. Very similar to Matt Campbell in a sense of from why Texas U though. From what? I mean, he's already pretty highly paid. It's not public uh, what his salary is, but I mean, it's, he, he yeah, makes but- pretty good money at TCU. He's pretty sad. He's been there forever. He's proven he can beat Texas consistently. I think that's why it's so enticing for for Texas, and especially very similar to Matt Campbell, where you look at the results that Gary Patterson gets year in and year out with the with the quality of talent that he has on his football team, which again, you know, uh, get, getting the most out of it. So you throw him but, into Texas, where you've got those resources and those higher caliber athletes. I think that that could be fit. I I mean, I think Texas would love to have him. I don't think Gary Patterson would even consider it. I agree. I agree. I, I don't think he would. I, I don't think he wants to play the politics game. He's got a cushy setup. He could coach yeah. at TCU till he's ready to hang it up. Yeah. Um, number two, this one's a little bit off the wall, but I think it's really good. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but Joe Brady. I just don't think that they would consider that. I don't know that, that would necessarily be a great hire at this point. Um, he's 31 years old. Uh, he's almost been completely in the NFL. So he really hasn't had to do 
much on the recruiting side. Um, so we really, he's kind of an unknown there. Texas also hasn't hired a coordinator uh, to become a head coach since 1951. So I feel like they're looking for a bigger splash than that. Uh, even Joe Brady himself, he's only been a, an actual coordinator for one year, not even a full year, which is this year, <laughs> this season as, uh, as an offensive coordinator for the Panthers. Well, he, he caught lightning in a bottle at LSU and, you know, yeah. the, the transformation that, that Joe Burrow made from his junior to his senior year at LSU was, was fantastic. So, uh, but again, I think that that's definitely one where very similar to Lincoln Riley, hot up and coming coach, offensive mind. Um, but, but again, I, I'm not sure if, if he's in the posi- position that he's at right now as an offensive coordinator with the Carolina Panthers. Um, he might actually have his sights set on an NFL head coaching job. So, uh, but again, Gary Patterson, uh, what about Mike Gundy? <sighs> they, they were talking about that on the radio earlier this week. Would that be someone that uh, you think Longhorn fans could get behind? I don't know. I've maybe asked me three years earlier, I would have said, yeah, maybe he would do it. Maybe they would like that. But the longer Gundy stays in Stillwater, the more I just think he's – and the way that this offseason has gone, I kind of wonder – he might be a little too hot to handle for what's going on down in Austin right now too. <laughs> so I don't know if he's the one that's going to be the uniter for, for everybody. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense right now. And I kind of think whenever he's ready to be well, done with OSU, he'll just ready to be done with coaching football in general. The city of Austin is the most liberal area in the state. So <laughs> it might not be the uh, best fit for, uh, for Mike Gundy and the, uh, as an OAN ambassador. Uh, going down to that part of it. So, but again, we, we won't touch on that. We won't dive any further into it moving on. Um, but, again, it, it's definitely going to be interesting to play to, to see it play out. Um, but, again, Texas, at, I, I'm, I'm sure they're missing Mac Brown right now. Mac Brown's time at Texas, that, that would uh, seem probably pretty good right about now. So, oh, yeah. um, Adam, let's uh, got this is, uh, let's kind of dive into a couple, couple other things. Um, national college football scene. Um, we've got a big one coming up this weekend. Um, Alabama, Georgia saw a couple really good games from this past weekend. Uh, uh, Florida goes on the road, gets upset at Kyle Field by Texas A&M. That was probably the game of the day. Besides OU Texas, um, Alabama gets into a dogfight at the Grove versus Ole Miss. Georgia just absolutely beats the shit out of Tennessee. Um, I guess probably the biggest takeaway from from the SEC this past weekend and something that we've seen a lot of the national college football guys talk about uh, is the SEC defense. I I know that for the longest time, defense, you know, when it's not played in the Big 12, they don't play play defense in the Big 12. It's flag football. Um, It's seven on seven. But listen to this stat, Adam. Out of the 76 teams that are playing football right now, again, because the the Pac-12, Big Ten haven't started yet, there are six SEC teams that rank 53rd or lower in the FBS in total defense. Three of those teams, LSU, Florida, Alabama, are three of the worst defensive teams in college football right now. So just kind of what, what are your thoughts on kind of the uh, the outlook uh, the, the perspective, uh, the, the opinions that are being given on the SEC right now. Couldn't happen to a better group of fan bases. I absolutely love it. I, I hope that uh, they give up 40 a game all the way to the playoffs and then just get destroyed uh, in the playoff game by someone else. So that would just make my bring so much joy to my heart <laughs> to see that. Uh, but look at let's I mean, look at the offensive players that are in the SEC right now. 
night and day different with the quarterbacks, the, the receivers, the running backs, everybody just looks uh, just better. And, you know, they're, they're not running ancient offenses anymore. So uh, that coupled with a uh, strange off season and COVID and everything. Yeah. You're going to have a lot more points. It, it, it's just, it's so amusing to sit back and watch because, you know, for the, for the last decade of the big 12, when you've had quarterbacks like, like Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, um, you, you look at some of the other guys that have been have been slinging the football. Will Greer from last year, Sam Ellinger right now, and you've got these high powered offense that are putting up points. And the what we've always heard from the SEC is you know they don't play defense. They can't you know they they can't stop anybody. Now you're seeing the Big Twelve formula where you've got these high you know high flying offenses making their way over into the into the uh, SEC where you've got Steve Sarkeesian, you know, calling plays at Alabama, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, the pirate, is now in the SEC. And you're seeing the kind of the uh, the, the, the schematics and the, uh, the, the, uh, the game planning and these offenses kind of take, uh, take over in the SEC. And, I mean, hell, uh, Alabama's given up over 30 points a game right now, and we saw Missouri – Missouri of all teams put 45 on LSU this past weekend. So uh, it, it's definitely a different time in the SEC right now. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like I said, it brings joy to my heart. So I hope it continues. Absolutely. I uh, uh, w- One final topic here, ACC, the other conference that's in action. Uh, one of the bets that I lost this past weekend, I thought that Miami was going to cover 16 points against Clemson. Boy, was I wrong. They – it, it happens every year. We always think that there's an up-and-coming team in the ACC that, that you know, they're going to finally challenge Clemson. And then when they get on the same field together, Clemson just, you know, they, they remind everybody why they're the top dog in that conference. So, Adam, at this point right now, we've seen we, – I think we've gotten a pretty good helping of seeing what all these teams in the ACC look like. Is it still just Clemson or anybody else? North Carolina, Mac Brown, top, they're, they're number five right now. Yeah, I mean, one of my picks last week was Louisville to to cover against Georgia Tech, and they ended up losing outright. So I thought they were going to take a step this year. Notre Dame had some struggles with Florida State early on. Uh, it's just, I don't know, Notre Dame just doesn't really inspire me a whole lot. UNC, I thought, I thought Virginia Tech might actually pull out the win there. Virginia Tech had looked really solid in the first couple of weeks, but that turned out to be a shootout. You know, you got to like UNC's chances to be in any game they're in because they have Sam Howell. But, man, Clemson, even when the score is close and they're only up by two touchdowns, you just look at that and go, man, Miami has no chance. They have no no chance at all. Clemson is so much better. I, I, was, telling, I was telling one of my buddies at work, I watched that entire Clemson-Miami game, and I didn't think Clemson played very well at all, and they still <laughs> beat, beat, uh, beat Miami by over three touchdowns. So uh they're just on a whole other level right now especially you look at the other teams in that conference play that that don't have the talent um i think that north carolina and notre dame will be able to i don't know i don't know if challenge is the right word they'll be able to keep up with them for maybe a quarter or two but clemson's too deep they're too talented and and they're too well coached so uh, i think right now clemson um you can go ahead and pencil them in uh, ACC champion represent the playoff and honestly I think they're the best team in college football right now so uh, Adam let's kind of move over here to our uh, our, our gambling cards uh, tough week for us last week we tied both going two and three uh, my two wins I had OU minus two and North Carolina covering five and a half against Virginia Tech uh, and then of course who would have thought OU Texas would go over 
Uh, didn't look like it was going to. Thank God it went to <laughs> overtime. So yeah, that helped me out a lot. <laughs> so good for you to be able to cash that in. And then K State um, taking them to cover, uh, giving them eight and a half points against TCU, and then they end up winning, winning outright. So two good picks by you. We're both two and three heading into this this upcoming weekend. And Adam, we've got our five games that we've picked out that we that we really like uh putting some money on so go ahead and throw out your uh, your first game what, what do you like this upcoming weekend yeah i lost all confidence in virginia tech after they lost to unc so uh, they're hosting boston college uh, in blacksburg it's a night game it's not going to be the same though with uh with fewer fans in there so i like boston college to cover the the 12 there they played uh, really tough uh, they played unc tough up in chestnut hill so uh, i think they can keep it within 12. I think that's a good pick, but Boston College plus 12. I thought Virginia Tech, um, again, coming off of a tough loss at North Carolina last weekend, they put a lot of their eggs in that basket trying to knock them off. I like that pick. I'm going to start with uh, SMU getting nine points against Tulane. Um, you know, uh, Bouchelle, what, what SMU's got going on right now. I know that they lost their best receiver uh, for, for the year, but that that's a high-powered offense, and uh, I like them to cover nine points against Tulane. And, and oddly enough, you know, uh, you know, what, what, what's the what's the guy's first name? What's Bouchelle's first name? Shane. I, Shane. Yeah, it sounds. Uh, I bet Texas wishes they had him right now in terms of being able to throw <laughs> no football. So, uh, give me SMU minus nine against Tulane. Okay, I'll stay in the AAC. I've got uh, Memphis. They are a three and a half point dog at home against uh, Central Florida. Uh, Central Florida's got a great quarterback, but Memphis has a senior quarterback with a ton of experience. Uh, I like what they have on that side of the ball uh, a little bit better. So uh, UCF did struggle. They lost to Tulsa already. Uh, Memphis, you know, they played a tough one with SMU and, and weren't able to come away with the W, but uh, I like Memphis to, to cover the three and a half at home. So Josh Heupel, maybe get fired from UCF after this loss, uh, get hired well, on at Texas. straight to Austin. <laughs> straight yeah. to Austin. Uh, I, think that's a, I think that's a good pick. Memphis is always tough, giving them three and a half points. If it was at three points, field goal might feel a little differently, but three and a half, I like Memphis in that situation. Uh, number two for me, uh, BYU get four points uh, against Dana Holgerson in Houston. I like BYU to cover four points. BYU's kind of been – uh, they've been a bright spot. They've, they've kind of over, they've exceeded my expectations this year. I like BYU uh, minus four points to, to take down the Cougars uh, th this weekend. Nice. Uh, I've got uh, Georgia at Bama. Bama's a three and a half point favorite. I think Bama can cover that. It was six and a half this morning and I was still taking Bama. So uh, the news that Nick Saban uh, tested positive for COVID, he's doing practice over Zoom. I don't know how that works. Um, it is, it is at home still. I, I don't see why they couldn't find a way to get him into a, like a private booth or something up there and him be, you know, self-isolated in there and coach from upstairs. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but, uh, knowing Nick Saban, he will somehow be able to send messages to everybody from wherever he is during the game. So I think Bama's got the, the better playmakers on offense. I like him to cover the three and a half. I like Bama to cover three and a half. The fact that it it moved down all the way to three and a half, I think that that's almost kind of a pick em because you do get the three-point advantage playing on your home field. Uh, I can already see the excuses being made. I can already see the Paul Feinbaum show on Monday. Uh, if Georgia knocks off Bama, the excuses are going to come in why Bama has got to be that second SEC team representing in the playoffs. Not having Nick Saban, that's going to make a huge difference. But uh, I like Bama's playmakers on offense, Mac Jones, Najee Harris. 
uh, Mac Jones throwing the football, all those weapons at the receiver position. So uh, give me Bama, minus three and a half. Although Georgia, they've got an excellent defense. But again, I, I don't trust Georgia's offense going up against Bama, especially in Tuscaloosa. So uh, I'm going to stay in the SEC with my third game, Texas A&M traveling to Mississippi State. Starkville, uh, Mike Leach's team trying to bounce back after scoring only two points against Kentucky last weekend. Uh, over under set at this game, 55 and a half. I think this goes over, and I think it goes over quickly. So A&M, Mississippi State, give me the over, 55 and a half. We'll see. We, uh, Leach needs to get out there and uh, score some points on offense because he was shut out on offense last week. Only a safety saved him from getting the goose egg. So. Well, it doesn't help when your starting quarterback throws, what, four interceptions in the first half? <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. Um, I've got uh, SMU at Tulane. Over is 64 and a half. I will take the over on that. Uh, AAC games are going to be wild. Both teams have solid offenses. Uh, so I think they can. I think they can hit the over pretty easily. I like that. I, and again, I've, uh, I've got SMU covering in that game, but that might be a double dip also taking the over. So that, I like that pick also. Uh, number four for me, um, Cincinnati getting four and a half against Tulsa. Cincinnati, number eight, uh, number eight ranked team in the country. I know Tulsa just knocked off. Um, who, did, who did Tulsa just – who are we talking about? They beat uh, Central Florida about two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Tulsa knocked off Central Florida, Josh Heupel, a couple weeks ago. I think four and a half. Vegas, again, Vegas is hardly ever wrong, so it kind of makes me a little bit nervous that that game is so close. Uh, but I think Cincinnati can cover four and a half points against the uh, Golden Hurricanes at Tulsa this upcoming weekend. I would 100% agree with you, but just the fact that they beat Central Florida gives me so much pause there. I, I didn't want to touch that one. Um, Are you saying Josh Heupel got outcoached? <laughs> Never. Uh, for my last pick, uh, I went with Clemson at Georgia Tech. Over under 64. I'm going to take the over on that. I'm betting on Clemson to at least hit 42 points. And uh, I think Georgia Tech's, they're improved on offense this year. I think they can uh, maybe get some garbage time points and, and push that over the 64. That's one in which I might disagree with you simply because Georgia Tech, a triple option team, that clock's going to be running, you know, more. Uh, they're not anymore. Paul Johnson is gone. They've, they've had a new coach for a year and a half. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, shut up. Ty. I mean, they're still run. They're still run heavy, but uh, not nothing like they were under Paul Johnson. I trust. I trust Clemson to get to forty, but I don't know if I trust Georgia Tech to to get past seventeen to twenty points. But yeah, um, I feel I, you there. It was a tough week. There's not as many games. I will say this: Clemson coming off of a big time win against their probably their biggest game of the regular season. Uh, crushing Miami last weekend like they did. Seems like they're every single year Clemson always gets into into a dogfight against a team that they're not supposed to uh, not supposed to uh, be competitive with. So um, again, hopefully uh, that a lot of points are scored in that one uh, between the Tigers and the Yellow Jackets. So uh, for my fifth and final game, this is probably the one that I'm the most confident in. I didn't I, I didn't check the line earlier this morning, but l- last time I saw it last night, North Carolina favored by eight points against Florida State. Is that too obvious of a of a win right there, Adam? You you kidding me? You're going to give Sam Howell, Mac Brown, eight points to cover against Florida State right now? Man, it seems too easy. And there's no uh, way that's what it still is right now. No way. Yeah, I, is it? At, I think is it at Florida State? Uh, 
I, I believe it is. I believe it's Tallahassee. Let me, let me pull it up right now. But again, when I saw eight points, I thought surely there's going to be a ton of money that's going to come in on that. Uh, let's see here. Vegasinsider.com. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's, it's, it's okay. It's up to 13 and a half right now. I still give me North Carolina on that. <laughs> yeah. I think that gets ugly quick. Yeah. I, I think so too. I mean, UNC didn't really overpower Boston college on the road. So I mean, maybe that makes a difference not playing in Chapel Hill, but at the same time, Boston college, I think is considerably better than Florida state. So I think, I think you're safe there. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Well, Adam, before we get out of here um, again, OU's got a bye week, uh, which gives us opportunity to kind of check out some other teams uh, around the nation. College football. Is there a game or two that you've got your, that you've got your eye on this weekend outside of the uh, Alabama-Georgia game? Yeah, not a great week to Liberty. Uh, to be watching too many other games. I will be glued to the Liberty-Syracuse game <laughs> up in the Carrier Dome uh, going for 5-0 and with uh, the Liberty Flames. Uh, Syracuse is down to their backup quarterback now. They've had a lot of guys opt out, so uh, this is a big opportunity for Liberty to make a, a big statement. But, uh, but otherwise, I think, I mean, it is a group of five week for me. BYU at Houston on Friday night. BYU is up to 15 now. They have some, you know, some aspirations to push for maybe a playoff spot if things really fall right for them. Houston, I guess, technically is undefeated. <laughs> They've only played one game. So uh, they're probably, you know, angling for that uh, group of five uh, or that group of six, uh, New Year's Six Bowl uh, opportunity. And then UCF at Memphis, that's always going to be a fun one. Um, so I'll look at that. Other than that, I mean, Georgia, Bama, but. For me, I'm looking forward to uh, Cleveland at uh, the Steelers and Cardinals at the Cowboys uh, for the NFL over the weekend. I think those are, are going to be interesting. Yeah, that was uh, uh, Arizona at Dallas. That was definitely one that I had scheduled. Hate that we're not going to be seeing Dak Prescott play the rest of the yeah. year. Uh, but outside of uh, outside of Alabama and Georgia on Saturday night, uh, we, we've got 10 top 25 teams that are on a bye week this Saturday. So, again, it's not not too great of a slate. Uh, probably another one that I'll be tuned in is Texas A&M going to Starkville uh, against Mississippi State. See if see if Mike Leach, uh, if those guys can bounce back. One of the things that we've got, you know, pretty used to seeing from Texas A&M over the past few years, when they get a little bit of momentum, they win a big game, they kind of fall flat on their face, and and it you know uh, it goes you know downhill for the rest of the year. So seeing if if A&M can kind of you know take that next step. I hope Mississippi State wins by a hundred. Uh, just as an OU fan. But, uh, again, I'll be glued to that matchup in, in Starkville. And then as far as the rest of the slate goes around college football, um, SMU Tulane, a lot of points scored. UCF, uh, Memphis, that, that, that might that, that over might go over 100. Um, but, again, Alabama, Georgia, Saturday night in Tuscaloosa, that'll be the one that I'm, I'm most excited for. So, uh, Adam, it is a bye weekend for OU. We'll be back next week to, to preview OU's trip down to Fort Worth when they take on TCU. Uh, anything else before we get out of here, man? Take a deep breath. We beat Texas, so <sighs> we can feel good about <laughs> ourselves for a little while. Got a bye week to watch some other teams lose. So um, definitely a much better feeling than where we were off off of our previous uh, podcast. I was going to say, it uh, it could have been a much different feeling uh, if, if OU would have been able to pull that game out on Saturday afternoon. But you, you've got to be optimistic right now as an OU fan. Got a bye week, time to heal up, lick our wounds. We're going to get some uh, some reinforcements back, get, get a lot of key players back in the lineup heading into TCU. 
Um, so, again, uh, optimistic time to be an OU fan. It's going to be an exciting second half of the year. Uh, but, again, appreciate you guys for, for joining us. You can find us on Apple, Spotify. Please go like, subscribe, comment on the podcast. We'd love to hear you guys' feedback. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at the Mainline Podcast one uh, I appreciate you guys listening. Again, go like and subscribe to the podcast. So for Adam, my name is Tyler. Again, appreciate you guys joining us, and we will see you right back here next week on another episode of the Mainline Podcast.